Good morning. Praise the Lord. Are you here to praise the Lord this morning? Yes. I think so. Yeah. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you highly. of our hearts, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. We want to see you. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. We want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. You high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love for we sing holy, holy, holy. Even faith. 
Lord, we just praise you this morning. It's all about you and the reason we've come today, Lord, is because of you. We lift our worship and praise to you because you're worthy, O oh Lord. If faith can move the mountains, let the mountains move. We come with expectation, waiting here for you. Waiting here for you. Sing that again. If faith can move the mountain, let the mountains move. We've come with expectation, waiting here for you. Waiting here for you. You're the Lord of all creation. Still, you know my heart. You're the author of salvation. And you loved us from the start. for you with our hands lifted high in praise and it's you Lifted high in 
Desire. 
the Lord and his train fills the temple I see the Lord he is highly see the Lord and his train build the temple I see the Lord he is high and lifted cry holy holy is the Lord angels cry holy holy is the Lord 
así dolor and his eyes are flaming like fire morning life church one more song I apologize I 
was in need in years to come. For all creation I sing, praise to the King of Kings. You are my only and I will adore you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Good morning, guys. So the last song Pastor Bob and the worship team just played, uh, and I knew this. For some reason, I got it mixed up with the song he prayed before it. But the name of the song is the Revelation song. And the thing about it is that it's the revelation of Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus that brings what? It brings salvation. It brings deliverance. It brings healing. Everything we need is found inside the revelation of who he is. When you look in his eyes that you believe he is who he says he is, that's when things begin to break, when things begin to change in our lives. And so, you know, this morning, recently, we've been having a lot of sickness hit the church. It's been hitting families. How many in here, either you're dealing with sickness or you have family members or friends that are experiencing something? I mean, it's crazy how many people uh, are getting sick. You know, my brother just got back from Thailand, and as soon as he got back, him, his wife, and his two daughters, they all became extremely ill. And we've been getting reports of sickness uh, just attacking so many people, so many members of the church. A lot of them are being put in the hospital. So this morning, we want to pray for healing for the church. Not just the church, but other people. But we're going to ask that God would release divine healing over the earth, that people would know that He is the healer, He is the deliverer. You know, the Bible says if one can send a thousand to flight, then two can what? Ten thousand, right. We've got much more than two people in here. So we're going we're gonna to combine our faith this morning. We are going to pray that God would release the revelation of healing in their earth. And that he would do a powerful thing through it. So Father, we come to you uh, as your church, as your bride, in the name of Jesus. We come to you right now, God, and we lift this knee before you. God, we thank you that you are the healer. You are the deliverer, God. And we just speak to every sickness that is plaguing the body of Christ right now in Jesus' name. We command them to let the people of God go. We command all ailments, all illnesses to remove itself from the equation. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus, God, that you're, you are increasing the faith of the people, not just praying for the sick, but those who are sick 
Uh, Lord, we just pray that there would be an encounter with faith that would come to the rooms that the people are in. God, we pray that the, the level of faith would increase. God, we pray that sicknesses would just bow their knee to the name of Jesus. God, we command every ailment, God, that has invaded illegally your people and family members and friends. God, we command them in the name of Jesus right now to take your hands off of them. We thank you, God, that the blood is enough, that there's healing in every drop of blood. God, we thank you that you said, by your stripes, we are healed. God, we don't just speak to the physical body. We speak to the mind. We speak to the spirit, to the soul. God, we command healing to flow into our friends and our family right now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for good reports right now. Jesus, we look into your eyes. We look into your eyes, Holy One. And we say thank you that you are already at work. Thank you, God, that you're releasing divine healing. And God, you're going to bring yourself glory through it. God, we thank you for testimonies, even as soon as next week, God, even as soon as, as Wednesday, God, even as soon as tomorrow, God, that there are going to be testimonies coming from your people, that they're going to call, they're going to text, they're going to message the pastors and their friends and families, and God, they're going to say, they don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, they became well. They became well, and we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you in advance for the good reports. And we bless you, God. We bless your holy name, Jesus, and we love you. And everybody who agrees said, amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Life Church, everybody. Uh, listen, if, take about 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Walk around, shake somebody's hand, give somebody a hug. We are so excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I mean, there is nothing like being with the people of God. Hallelujah. Good morning. How you doing, both? Good. Yeah, I'm good. What a blessing it is when we get to sit uh, and and receive and and offer worship with our pastor leading worship. Come on. Come on, we don't, get, we don't get to experience that very often, but him and the worship team, they did such an amazing job this morning. We're so blessed. Uh, glad you guys are here. Just want to encourage each and every one, keep believing for the things that we have not seen happen yet. Amen? There's a lot of people who are dealing with sickness, and they've been enduring for a long time, but God is on the throne, and he is the healer. Amen? All right, without further ado, I want to call Pastor Bob up. He's going to bring a word, and I'm excited about what he's going to do. Yes. Come on, let's give him a round of applause. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Pastor Justin and Tracy are... Uh, and their family are headed to Missouri for a conference, a leadership training conference. And it started tonight, and uh, Pastor Justin had said, well, I, we can't leave until after service Sunday because i got to lead worship, and it's a nine-hour drive, and so we're going to miss out on the Sunday night stuff. And I said, go. Just go. We got it. And then... Uh, he said, no, no, no. I said, no, just go. Just leave early. That way you can get there and enjoy it and be a part of it and, and everything. He said, you sure? I said, go. 
And then yesterday I went, oh. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it's been a while. My, my hand's twitching because I haven't played in a long, long, long time. But anyway, um, so glad that you're here. Uh, I want to just, before I do anything, I want to read a verse of scripture from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord. In other words, God is saying, prove me. And prove me now if this isn't so, is what he's saying, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and that he will, that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor bear, shall the vine fail to bear fruit in your fields, says the Lord of hosts. This is the fact that the, the tithe is the Lord's. I'm not teaching on this. I'm, I've just decided there's a number of people who have a lot of questions and misunderstandings about this. And so on Sunday, we're going to take just like two or three minutes, read a verse of scripture, and then we're going to go into the message. But I want you, I want you to be blessed by God with your, how would you, how much, how many of you would love to be so blessed that your, your house, the windows would be open and it'd be pouring in the blessings of God. And, and, um, and then God says, I'll rebuke the devourer, the enemy who comes to steal and take everything away. And we need to understand that the tithe is the Lord's. It's not my tithe. It's not your tithe. It is the Lord's. We're simply managers of that tithe. And he says, bring it into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. And a lot of people think that Jesus came and did away with the tithe, but you need to go back and relook at what Jesus taught. He reaffirmed the tithe, and, but he said you need to take it even further. And so I just want to remind you of that, that God's word is true. In fact, in times that I've taught about finances and, and tithing, I've told people, in fact, I usually warn people three weeks in advance for three weeks. Don't come on this Sunday because that's the Sunday I'm going to talk about money. And I don't ever talk about it, but I'm, I just say, don't come because you don't want to come. I don't, you don't want to be offended. And usually there's so many people show up. And then I'll tell them, I said, if you will trust God, I, I said, I'm willing, I believe God's word so true that I'll give you a 90-day money, money-back guarantee. If in 90 days you are honest with God and you do what God says, and if he does not provide according to his word, I will refund you every penny that you gave because I know God's word is true. Amen. So anyway, we have different ways of doing it. We don't pass the bucket or bag or anything like that. We have boxes on the back wall. They're offering envelopes there and in the backs of the chairs. We have an app for uh, your phones. You can download from the app stores. Uh, we have a text to give. The number's up on the screen. And we have a website. You can do it from there. So anyway, thank you for, so much for your faithfulness in doing that. And uh, so now we're going to read from Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2, to begin, uh, we're in a mini-series. I say, I say mini, I don't know how long it's really going to go. Um, but um, it says here, I urge you, therefore, brothers. The reason therefore is in there is because in the previous chapters, he's been spelling out things to, for the Christians to understand. So he goes, in other words, in light of the things that I have now shown or revealed to you, Therefore, 
That's what he's doing. That's why. See, the old rule I learned as a, a teenager was whenever you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for. And because it usually is bringing a summary to a position or a statement to a position. So he's made his case. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, in other words, your lives, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, look at what it says, re, not unreasonable, but reasonable act of worship. And then verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How many of you want to know the perfect will of God in your life? I'm telling you, we all do. So we're, we're talking about spiritual transformation. And I want to just give me five minutes. I'm going to do a, 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 a recap of last week. Last week I showed you, I began with a time-lapse photography, a 30-second video uh, of the life cycle of a caterpillar from egg to a caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly. And, and in scientific terms, the description of what we, call, we watched was metamorphosis. And we said that the, the, the definition of metamorphosis in that regard is the process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form in two or more distinct stages, okay? Uh, we can also use the word transform, for example. They're not the same person they used to be. They've changed, okay? Uh, but there's been a process or a transformation there. And I like this because it says that it goes from an immature form to an adult form, and it's in stages, okay? And I think it's why a lot of Christians uh, are, and, and people in, 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 as a whole, they have trouble with Christians because they look at them and go, they know different. They're not any different. Well, the pro problem is Christians don't realize that they should be different, that God's trying to do a work in them, but they have to cooperate with the process. And we want it overnight, but God says it's a process. And so they don't understand that. And so what happens is and, um, we saw from that video, from, that, from the larva stage to a green caterpillar uh, into a cocoon, and then a couple weeks later out comes a beautiful butterfly. And we said that it was a beautiful example from the living God about what his desire is for your life and my life. God's ultimate desire is that we would be an amazing, beautiful person. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. Look at your neighbor and go, I know he's talking about you. Yeah, come on now. In other words, when we say an amazing, beautiful person, what are we talking about? He's not, we're not talking about being perfect. There was only one who was ever perfect, right? We're not talking about even having all of our stuff together, but that our lives would be characterized by kindness and generosity and holiness, a kind uh, spirit 
faith-filled person who thinks and speaks and acts progressively more and more like Jesus. There's an old hymn that says, from glory to glory, he's changing us. From, you don't change overnight. We are forgiven overnight, and our position spiritually is changed in that we're transferred out of the pit of hell and the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his eternal son. But that's our spirit, and that's the spirit inside of us, okay? But this person who we are, when you go look in the mirror, you're going to look the same. And, 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 and the amazing thing is there, there may be some immediate changes, and, and then there's going to be some things that change takes time, okay? Um, and, and the problem we pointed out last week is that most people really want change, but they don't change. If you ask them, if you could change one thing, is there anything you'd like to change? And they'll have an answer for you. They probably have a whole list for you. The problem is they want it. They're, they're enamored with the idea of change, but they, they really don't change. And, and, and it's a multi-billion dollar uh, industry today, and it's called the self-help. Uh, movement. It really is a movement. Self-help. Make yourself number one. Be number one. How to get to the top of the chain. How to win friends and influence enemies. You know, the whole nine yards. It's all self-help. And the problem when it comes to personal lives is that, that this is how self-help works. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Well, I don't need someone telling me, do this, don't do that. I know what I'm not supposed to do, but I end up doing the very thing. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans said, the thing that I want to do, I don't do, and the thing I don't want to do is the thing that I do. Oh, what a wretched man am I. In other words, there's this inside this tug of war going on. Why? Because there's this process going on. And if we don't understand that, we have difficulty. Because here's the thing. Change is hard. Change is difficult, right? We, we took note of many pe ways people say that. And yet most surveys today, current surveys today, show that those people who profess to be a Christian don't have, live their life in significantly any different way than those who do not profess to be a Christian. And what we must understand is that God wants to bring his change to our lives. And what so often is we want to tell God what we want changed and how we want him to do it. But God says, no, I'm the potter, you're the clay, I'll reform you, make you, break you, whatever I've got to do, reshape you if you'll let me, okay? And so we looked at that, uh, the basic three-step process, and I'm just going to review this. We talk about spiritual birth, and this and the fact that we're already born physically, and Jesus gives us a new life. It's what, what the Bible calls being born again. And then the second stage is spiritual growth or sanctification. The Bible says to be set apart, to be 
different. In other words, God's not wanting to make you weird. He's just wanting you to stand out among the rest of the people around you because you're to be a reflection of who Christ is. You're, you've trusted in Christ. You've, you've been declared righteous before God, and, and, and you become a son or a daughter. But then there becomes a growing process, and we're focusing a lot on the process part. And then the third part we talked about was spiritual maturity. And um, and 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 in Romans chapter twelve verse two, we read it earlier. It says, "Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed." The word "transformed" there in the Greek is the word "metamorphosis." The same thing that we saw concerning the change of the caterpillar into a butterfly. And this is not a an external transformation. It's one from the inside out. And that it's that old thing that you could take a pig out of the slop and you can give it a bath and put a big bl blue ribbon on it and per spray it with perfume. But if you let it go, it's going right back to the mud. Because a, a pig's a pig. I mean, he's not going to change. He may be cleaned up on the outside, but nothing's chained on the inside. And a lot of people think that Christianity is about doing the right things. Well, we, we ought to do right things. But can I tell you how many times have I've heard people say, I, I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do that. I know. And why are you doing it? I don't know. I can tell you why. You're trying to do it with self-help. You're trying to will yourself to that place where you can do better. And so this brings us to the next part in the series. You're, you, if you're a Christian, you've been chosen, you've been adopted by the family of God, the Spirit of God has put his seal upon you, and we come to what I call the command. This is the specific process of transformation. Last week was just kind of like an overview of those three things. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord... Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know, a lot of Christians don't realize that they have a call on their life. See, we, we hear that and we think, well, I'm not called to be a missionary. I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I'm not called to... You are called to be a Christian. You are called to be a son or a daughter in Christ. That is the calling. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He wasn't writing to a bunch of preachers. He was writing to believers in the, in the area known as Ephesus. And literally, you could trans, trans, uh, transliterate this. Live out or literally walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It's, and, and notice something. It is not an option or a suggestion. It is a command. It's written in that tense. It is a command. In its simplest form. In the simplest form. And I like simple. I like, like, just tell me what the bottom line is, right? Don't make me figure this thing out for myself. Jesus, what he's saying is, let Jesus live his life through you. Live your life in such a way that Jesus can live his life through you. Okay? Well, that sounds great, right? I mean, he isn't saying try hard to be religious. He isn't saying try hard to be moral. He isn't saying go to more church services. He isn't saying give more money. He isn't saying do more church activities. He's saying live in Christ 
that the life of Christ can be seen in you. Okay? Living a life worthy of your calling that you've received. Here's something interesting, at least to me. The word worthy is a word axios. And it's where we get the English word access. How many of you know what an axis is? Two heads shaking. Okay. Well, let me show you something because you may not realize this. This is a word picture for us. And, and it is a picture of scales. How many of you have seen something like this before, right? And, and, and depending on what weight is on what side will determine which side is heavier and lower or which side is higher, right? Um, the word that's here literally means to let the beam come up and make it level. In other words, God has said, this is who you are in Christ. You are a son of God. You are a child of God. You are a daughter of God. You, you, you have been delivered. You have been set free. You're loved. You're sealed with the spirit of God. You're heaven bound. He said, all those things. He said, these are the things you believe. These are the things that you profess. And so what he's saying is, he's saying, now let your behavior and belief tell the same story. In other words, bring that arm up. Bring it up <clears throat> to where you, it, you may be professing this, but you're living this. And there's so little of this, it's way up here. He's saying, bring it to a place. Make it level. And, and, in other words, let your life and your lips say the same thing. Oof. Say oof. You know, go ooh. Pastor, let me curl my toes in. You're stepping on my toes. In other words, be a Christian that literally lives like a Christian. Oh. I know, I'd rather just preach something where we can all run around and shout. <laughs> it's not about trying harder. I can't tell you how many years, in my early years as a believer in Christ, I tried harder. I said, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read more. I'm going to go more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do... And, and all of that, every time I failed, I'd feel like a failure. And I'd go through this cycle of depression. And, and like, I'm no good. God must hate me. And, and then at some point, he would lift me back up again and show me I, he hasn't written me off. And then I'd say, I'm going to do more. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do it this time. And then I, boom, hit it again and how many of you know after a while you just quit and that's what the devil wants that's what the enemy wants the question is how does this come about okay how do we fulfill if if we have a command to fulfill a call that's the command then I need to know how, how do I do that what is the process you know, when I was a kid, I'd be told, go do something. And, and, and boy, you never asked why. Because I would hear, because I said so. And then I'd usually get to the back of the hand or something like that. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? You know, why? Because I told you. But when I got older, I'd ask why, and it wasn't. And, 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 and they used to say, well, teenagers, they're just rebellious. Well, yeah, they might be, but kids are too. Adults are. 
you know, I mean, just in general, you know. But, but when I got older, it wasn't enough that my mom or dad said so, or my teacher said so. I needed to understand the why behind the command. Yeah. And once I understood the why, I was, I was all in. Because it wasn't just like, were well, they just trying to make my life miserable or something? No, they saying, this is what I need you to do. This is how I want you to do it. And there's the reason why. And once I understood the why, I now became responsible and following up on that. So remember the metamorphosis. Remember the little green caterpillar who was transformed into a butterfly. Where did that transformation take place? In the cocoon, remember? It, it, it pulled back and formed a cocoon, and it just sits in there for like two weeks, and then all of a sudden it's changing, but it's still got to break out, and it, it's trying to get out, and it finally starts breaking out, and then it has, to, it has to turn upside down and let the blood flow, and then the wings have to spread, and then they have to dry. There's this whole process. And, and Paul is saying, here's where the followers of Jesus become transformed more and more like Jesus. Now, so let's go back to the first century because they didn't have the, the back half of this book, right? They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. We're looking at it with New Testament glasses. But in the first century, they didn't know anything about Jesus, okay? They just know that they met this man. He's incredible. He did miracles. They believed in him. They've accepted him as Messiah. But they don't know anything about what happens next. They don't know anything about spiritual growth. I mean, even the apostles, those that, that hung around with the guy for three and a half years, they didn't have a clue about a lot of it. When Jesus was resurrected, what's their first question? Are you now going to establish your kingdom? And then Jesus says, that's not for you to worry about. I have something else for you. You see, they, they, still didn't, they still didn't get it. So let's go back to the first century. You've met Jesus personally. You've watched him die. You were heartbroken. But then you met him. He had a resurrected body. Then you saw him ascend into heaven. The Holy Spirit then was poured out, and he's come inside of you. And Paul is saying, if you want to be more like Jesus, this is the way it works. And so instead of saying, here's all the things that you have to do, I want you to notice he sums it up really in just a couple of verses. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. And you say, well, why does it look like that? You'll see it in a minute. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Okay? So I want you to see this. We're going to put a number one over humble. Okay? And then we're going to put a two over gentle. And then we're going to put a three over... Somebody say it. Oh, patience. And then we're going to put a four, and I've stretched it out over bearing with one another, because that's actually one word in the original, and this is the way it is translated for us, and to understand it. And, and, and he's saying, you've got to be humble, you've got to be gentle, you've got to be patient, you've got to bear with one another. And then he goes to verse three, and he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, we've done one, two, three, four in verse 2, but look at this. He puts a fifth command or statement in here, and we're going to put a five here. Make every effort. 
And so what happens is in these two verses, there are four specific attitudes and one specific practice. Four attitudes, one practice, okay? And Christians, here this, here's the key. This is really important. Christians are transformed. Is that not what God wants, right? He wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He said, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Christians are transformed in the cocoon of biblical community. What is that? In other words, in relationships with people, especially those of the house of faith. Okay? Why is that so important? If you've met Jesus and you want to follow him and you say that he's made incredible promises and you know he wants to make you and other people beautiful and, and, and that's, that's good, right? Who doesn't want promises and who doesn't want God to make you beautiful, right? I mean, right? Hello? So he says, okay, so here's the process. And he goes, the first thing is be humble. That isn't going around going, oh, I'm so humble. Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nobody. I'm this. I'm not this. I'm not. That's not what humble is. That's pride. You know why that's pride? Because you're still drawing attention to yourself. Pride is, is self-centered. Okay? Humble, the word means here, to put the needs of others ahead of yourself do nothing for selfishness or personal ambition, but with humility of mind. In other words, consider others more important than yourself. How contrary is that kind of thinking to the culture in which we live today? The whole culture in which we live today is about self, self, self. Have you ever wondered why they... Make selfies? Look, I love you seeing all your pictures. But the ones that get me is the person who's going to show me 19 pictures of what they ate for supper. Oh, it was good. Ooh, oh, look, I took another bite. Ooh, ooh, oh, I ate this. Ooh, oh, wait till you taste. Oh, oh. I'm like, come on. Really? See, pride is about self. The culture of today is about self, self, self. You know, it's, I'm, they're out for themselves. In John chapter 13, we're not going to have time to read the whole thing, but you can, some of you know it. Some of you can go back and look at it. You can look at it on your own. This is at the Passover meal, the last Passover meal that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. They've been walking with him for three, three and a half years or so. And they get there, and they walk in, and there's no one there to wash their dirty feet. Now, it was custom in the, that day that there would be a servant, and it was usually the lowest servant of, of rank in, in the household, and they would wash their feet. Why? Because they wore sandals. And they're walking up and down the roads that are dirty and filled with dung from animals that are pulling carts and chariots and whatever. And so you, you, you wouldn't walk in with all that junk. And so somebody would be by the door and they would be knelt down and they would wash your feet off and dry it and everything so that you could go in and you'd put your sandals by the door and you'd go in and recline for a meal. 
They didn't sit up like we do, or I don't know how you eat, but I mean, you know, if you look fine, you'll see that they would recline. There may be tables around or whatever that the food is set on, but they would recline with one another. So picture this now. You gotta, you gotta help me out a little bit. Picture this. They've walked in. Nobody's washed their feet. They're stinking nasty feet. I don't understand people who have fetishes about feet. I really don't because, man, I'm like, when I take my, I don't know why, but, man, my feet stink. I don't care. Odor eaters can't kill the stink in my feet. I mean, how many of you, anybody? That's embarrassing. And I can wash and I can put all kinds of stuff in it. I put charcoal bags in my shoes and it, 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 it still stink the next day, you know? And I don't know why, but imagine. So everybody's walked in, they come to this, the Passover meal is a, a fancy thing, right? And they're all reclining. And, and I can see the guys go, get them feet out of my face. Man, get your stinky feet. Well, your feet stink worse than my feet stink. You know, that's how guys are. I don't know about you ladies, but that's what guys are, you know. And they're reclining, and they got their feet in each other's face and, and everything, and it starts. And then Jesus comes in, and he puts a towel, the Bible says, around him, and he goes around and washes all their feet. And Peter even goes, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. He said, then wash all of me. <laughs> yeah, that's what Peter was, you know. He's either in or out. I mean, he's all the way out, all the way in. You know, he's not walking the fine line, you know. And, um, and, but Jesus washes their feet. He takes the lowest position in that place, the lowest role to meet their need. And John 13, 12, Jesus says this, do you understand what I have done for you? And then he goes on in the next two verses. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, he didn't come in going, hey guys, I'm the rabbi, I'm the teacher, I'm the master. Somebody needs to wash my feet. How contrary that is to a lot of preachers. I didn't go touch that one. But he didn't do that. Instead, he quietly gets up, takes a towel, kneels down, and washes all their feet. I can't imagine what happened with the first guy. I don't know who he did. It wasn't Peter. He was probably the last one because of what he said, you know. But can you imagine Jesus comes in and starts pouring water and then washing their feet, and, and, and they're sitting there going, like, anybody seeing this? You know, and, and the other guys are probably, if they're hit, they're probably pulling their feet up. You know, I hope you don't come do my feet. You know, I remember I was in a church service one time where they started calling people up to wash their feet. And I said, oh, dear God, please don't let them call me. My feet stink. <laughs> they didn't. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but what did Jesus do? He saw the need. And he didn't think of himself as 
greater but put himself in the lowest position and put the needs that needed to be done. And he said, really, it's not about clean feet that they needed to see. They needed to see his example of putting others first. We know they didn't do this naturally because there were several times in the scripture where it says they were arguing among one another, debating about what, who's going to be greater in the kingdom of God. A couple of them even got their mama involved and said, would you let my son sit on your left and your right? I mean, that's, man, when, when, when you go get mama to intercede for you, you know, there's some fierce competition going on. So let me ask you a question. What would happen in your house if you started living this way? The needs of others first. What would happen in the place that you work or your business? What would happen in your neighborhood? What I wrote this down and then I erased it and the Holy Spirit said put it back and I really didn't want to put it back. What if you drove like that? Lord, you know they cut me off. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You go, you could have waited. Ten seconds instead you pull out from me. Make me slam on my brakes. Where did you learn to drive? Correspondence school? <laughs> what if we lived that way? See, the problem, here's the problem though. We can't do it in and of ourselves. But, however... However you ever you want to make the connection here. If Christ truly lives in us, then instead of, I'm supposed to read my Bible more, I'm supposed to pray more, I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. How about if we just say, Lord, would you teach me how to put others first? And it begins with baby steps, friends. Now here's the kicker. If you ask the question, if you pray the prayer, Lord, would you teach me how to put others first? He's going to say, yes. And then if you listen, you'll hear him say, but how can I do that when you refuse to be a part of a biblical community? In other words, how can you learn to put other people first if you don't want to be around other people? Hello? If the biblical community is the cocoon for spiritual transformation, how is that going to happen without fellowship? Without being with one another? See, you know, since COVID, look, long before COVID, for 10 years before COVID, we were, we were streaming things online. Everything. I knew that's where this society was. And, and I knew with the work thing, with the gas and oil industry and other things like that, people traveled a lot. And I'd hear people, if I did a series, people would come back and go, well, I'm not going to go back because I don't know what he did the first two weeks. 
So I said, we've got to get this online, okay? But when COVID came and everything got shut down, statistics show now that almost two-thirds of all people who could go back to church, who used to go to church, don't. And they have all kinds of reasons, and I'm not going to go into those reasons, but here's the point. You cannot interact with the TV. Now, in a football game, you might be able to. You can yell at the referee, but he don't hear you. And, and there's no really no interaction. The only interaction is your kids running for cover. You know, that's the truth. I know I yell at my TV during a football game. But the best thing is if it gets that way and just turn it off. Walk away. I don't need to know the end. I'll find out when it's over. You know? We need to learn to be humble, but you need people to do that. The second part is be gentle. That means be considerate and kind. And, and, and what's interesting about this, it's a picture of power under control. In other words, it's, it's, I'm always leery of the person who comes in and says, I'm the boss here. Anybody know anybody like that? Again, don't point at them if they're in here. You know, but you know, when they come in and go, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, who gave you permission to do that? I, I didn't give you my say so, I didn't approve that, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Okay? They, they know, have no clue what gentle means. Because anyone who's constantly reaffirming that they're in control or not in control. And this is a picture of power under control. What do I mean? In 11, Matthew 11, chapter, uh, 11, verse 29, look what it says. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, I know a lot of preachers picture the, use the picture of a yoke on oxen or what. That's not what this means. The word yoke here is meant for a rabbi of his day, a teacher would say. In other words, take my teachings upon you. My yoke is my teachings. Okay, so he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The, the word gentle and lowly, it's an ancient world picture of a, of a, of a stallion. Picture a stallion horse, okay? A huge stallion that's powerful, and yet it's been tamed. In other words, it, it, they've taken a wild Mustang, if I could put it that way, and they've broken it or tamed it. It still has that spirit. It still has the ability. It still has the power inside of them. But they've learned to, it's learned to, Show that power and do what it can do under control. It's a very powerful picture for us. And here's the thing. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of power that has been controlled. God is not looking for a bunch of loose canon Christians. He's looking for those who can learn to be gentle and lowly. In other words, they, they can be powerful and yet under the leadership and guidance of his Holy Spirit. 
The third part in this cocoon of transformation is be patient. <clears throat> this one's harder than the other two put together. I remember when I was a kid, when I was a teenager one time, and I, I was at the altar of my little church, and I asked God for patience. And a lady heard me, and she came running up. She said, she put her hands over my mouth, and she said, son, don't say that. I said, but I need it. She goes, don't say, don't ask God for patience. I said, why not? She says, because there's only one way that patience comes. And then she shows me the scripture that patience comes by tribulation and trials and the trying of our faith. Oh, I don't need that. I have already too much of that as it is, you know. Just let it, when it comes, it comes. I don't need to be asking for God to give me a double portion of that. I don't want a double portion of trouble to get more patience. Come on now. And, and, and the thing is, the, the word patient, what God, the Paul's saying here is, in other words, learn to be patient in the same way that God is patient with you. Oh. oh. My grandmother used to say, just, just kill me now, just kill me. <laughs> you know. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, the love chapter, right? Well, that's what we call it. It's, that's not what it is, but that's what we call it. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know what? If you're not patient, you're not going to be kind. Love does not envy. If you're envious, you're not going to be kind. And you're not going to be patient. Love does not boast. It is not proud. If you're boasting and you're proud about yourself, guess what? You don't have any love. You have contempt. Oh. The picture here is, for example, your children or your grandchildren, when they're first taking their first step. You know? And they get up, and you're like, oh, what? Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't scare them. You know? And they take that first step, and you're like, come on, come on. And then they go, boom. You don't walk up to them and go, I'm really disappointed in you. Is that the best you can do? I mean, get yourself up and do better. You know? So we go, some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, I'm glad my kids are not around you. I, I, I didn't say I was that way. <laughs> but I mean, that, that's the picture that we have here. In other words, the picture is, you go, you're all right, baby. Oh, you did good. You did good. Let me dust you off. Come on. Come on. Do it again. Do it again. And they cry. No, 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 no. No cry. No cry. And you get down at their level, right? You're down there and you're going, let me hold you. Come on. Hold on. Hold on. Come on. Take a step. Take a step. Come on. Come on. I know you can do oh. Down they go again. Oh, that's good. Good, good. You got two and a half steps that time. Come on. Come on. Are you with me? This is what Paul's talking about here. He, he's saying that you need to be patient in that way. Walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. In other words, like you're encouraging that baby to get up and walk again, that toddler to get up again. He's saying, be patient like your heavenly father is patient. Your heavenly father's saying, I'm so proud of you. You put your wife ahead of yourself. 
Or your Heavenly Father saying, I'm so proud that critical thought that was in your mind didn't come out of your mouth. Way to go. God's cheering for you. I mean, God is so excited with every baby step that we take towards being humble and gentle and being patient. And then the fourth one was bearing up one another. Bearing up one another. The definition literally, and I put it up there, is, is to put up with the quirks, the failures, and dysfunctions of others in love. In love. Say, in love. Because, see, we could go, somebody does something, and we go, what else do we expect from them? Right? Or when they do it again, or they say whatever it is, you go, every time. I don't know why I would think you're going to change. I don't know why. No, it says you put up with those things with love, those habits, those eccentric things that just drive you crazy. You know, those people are called sandpaper people. They just rub you wrong no matter which way they do go whatever. But you may not realize this, but God's put them there in your life to take the rough edges off of you. When you go, God, please... Gets, please take them out of my life. He, be, he may do it, and he's going to bring somebody twice as bad. Or they may find a partner and tag team. I'm serious, man. God says, I want you to bear with them knowing that, guess what? You have some of those things too. Not me. Have you ever noticed how everybody else's faults are not your faults? They are never on time. But when you're late, you're saying, but I'm being deliberate in what I'm doing. We find an excuse for ourselves. God says, I want you to bear with them knowing that you haven't arrived yet either. And believe it or not, they have to put up with some of your little quirks. And you go, I don't have any. And then God goes, oh, really? Let's pull back the veil. Ah! And once you see it, it's like how, how they say, I can't unsee this. <laughs> right? And so that brings us the four attitudes and one action. In other words, the one action deals with all four of those attitudes. Be patient. Be humble. Be gentle. All of those. He says, make every effort. In Ephesians 4 and 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You may, if you'll dig into this, you're going to find out. That, that word, that phrase there, make every effort, it's one word. And, and, and it is the strongest word in the New Testament. It is like saying, I will, like a, imagine a coach before a game. He goes, he turns to his players and he goes, I want you out there with intensity. 
I want you fired up. I want all the practice, everything we've done. We've prepared for this moment. This is our moment. I want you to bring focus. Whatever it takes, I want you to do whatever it takes to get the job done. That's what it means, literally. It's, it's like the slogan, I know Navy SEALs and probably Army Rangers and others, they have that slogan, no man left behind. In other words, whatever it takes, we're going to bring back every single person, even if they're wounded, and even if our comrade died in arms, we're not leaving them behind. That's the picture. So Paul is saying, make every effort. In other words, Paul is saying, whatever it takes. In other words, I got your back. You got my back. Whatever it takes, we're going to put the effort forward to, to keep the unity of the Spirit and, and through the bond of peace. In other words, what the enemy wants to do is divide the body. Divide the church, divide the believers, and he'll find some little quirk, some little thing somewhere that just pushes your button. And if you're not careful, you'll go off on a wild hair tangent on that thing and try and get a whole slew of people in your corner. And the next thing you know, division builds up within the body of Christ. And this person done like this person and done like this person. And, and, and that's not God. God says, you make every effort with it, all intensity, whatever it takes, you need to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, whatever it takes. Now, I know that some people, they're not interested in that. But I can tell you this, if you pursue that avenue, they'll either change or they'll leave. And some people, listen to me, there will come those in your life that you need to let go. Because their intent is changing you into who they are for their reason or cause or whatever. And look, I, I, I believe in going the extra, 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 extra mile, but at some point you say, God, they're yours. I'm pulling myself back from this situation, this relationship, because when it begins to interfere with my walk with you, God, then this is not of you. And you put it, you say, well, what will people think? I'm more interested in what does God think about where your walk is. I'm closing. I'm closing. I really am. I got half a page on my iPad. That's it. And it's big letters because I can't see. See, here's the thing that matters. Of all the things in life that matters, the only thing that matters in your life, with your family, your friends, and your coworkers, is do you love people? Because you cannot reach people for Christ if you don't love people. You've got to love them. And, and you got to like them, too. Oh, my goodness. 
Look, it doesn't mean you have to go hang out with them, but you got to love them. I remember years ago there was a guy in the early part of the Jesus movement called Arthur Blessed was his name. He was, he was a radical. He carried a big old huge cross and he, he walked from one end of the country and back multiple times, north, south, back, east, west. He even went overseas and he took his big cross with him, put a couple wheels on the end of it and he just walked and it wasn't like a styrofoam thing that weighed 20 pounds. It was a full-size wooden and he would walk on the side of the road where the sign says, Jesus loves you. And he wrote a book called Bless Your Dirty Little Heart. It's the only one he wrote. Bless Your Dirty Little Heart. And I remember in my early days as a Christian, seeing him, meeting him, and, and hearing him speak one time. But he was at a conference one time, and they used to have, in those days, no, they still do it a lot today. But, you know, they want to show off all the ministers in the crowd. So they put them all up on the platform, you know, and, and they'd be sitting up there, and then they would have the speaker come, you know. And so all the distinguished people they put on the platform. And Arthur, everybody's in three-piece suit and tie, you know, vest, the whole nine yards. And Arthur's there. And sandals and old jeans and a you know like a Hawaiian flower shirt you know and kind of scraggly looking and and he's the last one on the row and he's sitting next to a mainline denominational preacher I won't tell you what denomination but just old line denominational preacher and they was they would have that meet and greet time they said turn to your neighbor and 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 and, and you know just greet him and and Arthur was he never did anything just halfway he just he he grabbed this. Well, it was a Presbyterian minister, and he just grabbed him in his formal garb and everything, and he'd put his arms around him, pick him up, I love you, brother! Boom! And he'd put him back down. The guy's like... <laughs> and they had assigned seating, so he couldn't get away from him. That went on for like four nights. And on the fifth night, I mean, God got through to the, 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 the pastor, the Presbyterian minister. And so when the time came, he turned to Arthur. He said, I like you, Arthur. And Arthur said, like me? I've been telling you every night I love you. And all you can do to say to me is you like me? He said, I'm commanded to love you. I ain't commanded to like you. And Arthur just looked at him. He said, praise God. And he grabbed him, picked him up, and bounced him up. And I like you too, brother. Oh, I've seen some things in my days. I'm so thankful for it too. But here's the thing. Do you love people? Because if the cocoon of biblical community is where you grow and you transform and God wants to work these things in you, he needs other people around you and he, you can't do it by a Zoom or FaceTime or whatever else there is out there. Skype, you know, you can't do it. You, you, you got to be around people. As great as that is, I think, boy, would, I would have loved having that technology when my dad was overseas for months at a time, you know, growing up as a kid to be able to see him, talk to him, all of that. But God says, okay, here's the journey I have for you. And here's the focus. Put others ahead of you. Be gentle and don't demand your rights be patient with people and not just the nice ones be patient with them even as God is patient with you and make every effort to keep the unity 
of the spirit. And it is in that spiritual cocoon where life change begins to happen. Do you wonder why the devil tries to talk so many people out of going to church? Because he wants them not to be able to be transformed. It, yes, the word of God is a part of that transformation, but you can't live it out, you can't apply it without people. It has to be done that way. So let me ask you this morning. Where do you need to start this week? In what area? What part? See, your need isn't necessarily my need. My need is not necessarily your need. What is God speaking to you? What is he saying? Out of all these things that we just went through, what is it that he's saying to you? Is it, Lord, I need to really work hard on that putting others before me. How can I do that? I mean, in this day and age, there's so many ways and things that we can do to just bless someone. And guess what? When you bless them, you don't have to go, I did that. You know, just think about the, the pay it forward kind of thing, you know. The person pulls up and finds out, hey, says, somebody just paid for your meal. Who did that? I don't know that person that just drove off. Well, I can't believe they did that. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying, but think about it. They're not, they're not honking as they go out of the driveway. It was me. Because if that's your attitude, then you gain nothing from it. Nothing. Putting others ahead of you, being gentle, not demanding your rights, being patient with people, even the ones that drive you crazy. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. What step do you need to make? And I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit's already been speaking to some of you. Some of you, the first step is you need to give your life to Christ. Because everything I've talked about is impossible without Jesus in your life. Impossible. And even with Christ in your life, if you don't understand this process, it's impossible. I said, I wish somebody had taught me in my early years that God wants to do a process in me and it's not instant and overnight. I didn't even know that he was trying to get me anywhere. I had no clue. And this is why I'm teaching you this, because I want this year, the days that God gives you to be life changing. When I say life changing, I'm talking about transformative, life changing days. I told you that's the word the Lord gave me, transformation. And I pray that every day for you, I pray for this church. I pray for all the churches in the area. I pray for our cities and our town, that in our families and marriages. I pray God just bring transformation. And you can't have transformation just sitting up in your own little high tower somewhere with your Bible and God saying, me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. The problem with that is you're not going to become like him, hidden away like a hermit. You've got to come down and be around the rest of the body of Christ. So what area is God speaking to you about? I don't know what it is.
but I'm going to pray for you right now. And, and, and if you just be honest, you, I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm not going to ask you to stand either, but I'm going to say, Pastor, as you were speaking, there's, there was something that came to mind that I, I need to kind of focus on. An area or a situation I need to focus on. And, and I'm going to ask God to help me with that. Uh, would you just raise your hand if that's you? I just want to hold them up high. Okay, that's good, good, good. About 50% of you, at least 50%. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit has come and that he lives inside of us. And he didn't come to just find an easy chair to sit back and wait till Jesus, you come to take us home. He came to clean the house. He came to rearrange the furniture of our lives, so to speak. He came to take out the stuff that doesn't belong, that's not necessary. And he's come to bring about the transformative power of Jesus Christ in our individual lives. God, I'm thinking right now of husbands and wives who begin putting their spouse first, their needs, thinking about them, how radically that would change. Because you know, Lord, children are impacted by how well their parents are getting along. I just believe, Lord God, you want to bring transformation and some homes in the family level. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the Lord that raised their hand and maybe even those some who wanted to but were slightly ashamed to do it. God, you know their heart. They may go home this week and, 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 and think there was nothing and then within the next day or so, you're going to show them an area that they're not being humble. They're not being gentle. They're not being consider it they're not no they're exerting their own power their own rights their own ways and then holy spirit you're going to bring these words back to remembrance and they're going to pray jesus help me learn to be more like you that i can emerge from this spiritual cocoon as such and become beautiful as you desire me to be. And we pray this for the glory of your kingdom because there's a world out there looking for reality, looking for truth, looking for the power of God that can change their situation, change their lives. And you've called us to be the light on a hill so we say, Holy Spirit, do that in each of our lives. None of us have graduated from the school of Holy Spirit yet. That comes when we see Jesus. And out of this will come transformative testimonies where wives will say, my husband 
is not the same. Husbands will say, my wives are not the same. Parents will say, my children, the change I've seen in them. Workers will say, I don't know what's happened to you, but you're different. What's taking place? And we'll be able to say, it's Jesus working his power to transform my life. And you get all the glory for it, Jesus. And we pray this in your holy and mighty name. Amen. Amen. You've been sitting a good while. Why don't you stand up together? And if there's any of you that you need special prayer, I know we had prayer for those who are sick earlier, but uh, if there's an area that you need special prayer and you need someone to pray with you, I'm here. There's others here that will stay and will pray with you concerning those things. And um, But I want you to be blessed. Thank you for coming out today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting Jesus do his work in you. And I want you to look to two or three people and say, God is making you a beautiful person right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.